so glad you could join us for mornings at YCVC today. We want to thank you for being a part of our online family and we hope that this message encourages you, blesses you and helps you grow in your walk with Him. So let's get into the Word. So last Sunday we, we explored the crucifixion narrative. Now the last verse of, um, of John chapter 19 is because it was the day of the Jewish, uh, the Jewish day of preparation and since the tomb was nearby they laid Jesus there. And so the last moment of John chapter 19 is, is Jesus buried dead in a tomb. <clears throat> and so there was a, a day of Sabbath, an important Sabbath, because it was the Passover week between the, the death of Jesus and Sunday morning. And, and so as the reading told us that early on the first day of the week, this is the third day since Jesus' crucifixion, that Mary headed out to the tomb. While it was still dark, this is, I guess, before dawn, the, the very first moment, opportunity she had to go and, 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 and visit the tomb of Jesus, she was headed there. But what she found was an empty tomb. And, and so John tells us this story through John chapter 20 of a journey towards belief in Jesus as our Lord and God. Because they began with belief in Jesus as being a dead man. That's where everybody in this story begins. Whatever belief they had about Jesus being, being the one sent, the Messiah, before his crucifixion, they, they may be holding on to that belief, but, but this, this narrative journeys from belief, whatever it was before the crucifixion, to Jesus being a dead man, to being, believing in Jesus as both Lord and God. And so we see these individual stories of belief. We see the story of Mary journeying towards belief in Jesus and his resurrection. We see the story of John. We also see the, the collective story of the disciples, but, but more focused, we see the story of Thomas. Jo Mary, John and Thomas are the, the key kind of people, apart from Jesus, that this story revolves around and how they move to belief. But ultimately, this story is about you and I. Now, I'm not saying that in a, in a modern day, me, 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 Christianity sense. That, oh, yes, this is really just all about us. Because it's actually John who made it all about us. Not just you and I, yes, Community Baptist Church, but all about us being those who would read this and themselves journey towards belief. See, John records the journey of belief of those who saw Jesus risen from the tomb, but his interest is in our journey towards belief. Uh, we're going to end here, but I, but I want to read the end of John chapter 20, beyond what Tony read for us this morning, because this frames the story for us. In John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, uh, it, he wrote, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence <clears throat> of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe. The, the you in that passage is you and I, the, the readers of this gospel. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so this morning, that's the lens that I want to look at this resurrection narrative through through the lens of what does it take for us to believe? 
What did it take for Mary to believe? What did it take for John to believe? What did it take for Thomas to believe? And ultimately, what does it take for us to believe? And you may be, most of us this morning, and might be thinking, well, I already believe in Jesus. I can flip channels now. I can, I can turn over and see what's on uh, you know, Netflix this morning. Well, I want to encourage you, and, I, and as I've encouraged myself, that there's more to belief than a box to tick. I want to encourage that, that we can believe in Jesus, but not believe in him. And by, by that, the second belief, I mean trust. We can believe in Jesus, but, but not be fully trusting in him. We can believe in Jesus and say, yeah, I believe he died and he rose again and that he ascended into heaven, but, but not trust in him fully with our heart in every moment of our life. What does it take for us to believe in him, not just for our salvation, but, but that we might have life in his name, as John says? See, sometimes I think we, we believe in Jesus and we're more focused in that sense on what happens after we die, which of course is life. If we trust in Jesus, but, but that's, that's where our, our belief rests is in not so much this life, but in the life to come, which is, of course, important. And if you, if you are someone joining us this morning, and you don't let, yet have that kind of belief, then I want to encourage you this morning to, to open your heart to Jesus. And we're going to pray at the end that, that, that if we don't yet, that we will put our belief in Jesus and have eternal life, life after this life in his name. But my question for those who already believe as we journey this morning is, do you believe in him that you might have this life? fully trusting in him and living in his name. The first one to venture out to the tomb is Mary, Mary Magdalene. And so as, as Tony read for us this morning, Mary went out to the tomb while it was still dark and, and found the tomb opened and empty. And so she ran back to the disciples to, to tell them about it. Her assumption is that grave robbers uh, or perhaps the owner of the tomb has removed the body. Uh, it's not a foolish assumption for this period of time. And apparently grave robbing was so common in this day that the Roman Empire that governed this area had to uh, place in, put in place a whole bunch of laws that essentially made robbing a grave a, a penalty punishable by death because it was happening so often. But also, that, that other part of that, maybe the owner of the tomb took Jesus' body because uh, he was laid in a tomb that he didn't own. And, and having your own private tomb, a new tomb, was an expensive thing. And so maybe the owner of Jesus' tomb felt that, you know, a couple of days, yep, I can move him out to uh, place him somewhere else so that his people can come and bury them in their own place. And so that was Mary's assumption. And so she, she ran back to the disciples and uh, told them about that. And then in the intervening story, we'll come back to John and Peter, but, but they, they visited the tomb themselves, but we'll, we'll come back to them. In, in verse 11, Mary's back out at the tomb. And we're told that she stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? And this wasn't because they didn't have the information required to work out why she was crying. It was because they knew that Jesus has risen. They knew that Jesus had spoken about this with his followers. And so she was weeping on the day that should be about celebration. 
But she's still locked in this assumption that someone has stole Jesus' body. And we can't be too harsh on Mary Magdalene here because it's kind of a pretty wild thing to see an empty tomb and go, oh, he must have risen from the dead. And so she said to them, they've taken my Lord away and I don't know where they've put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. And so throughout all these resurrection narratives, we have this continuity of who Jesus is, that he still bears the, the, the nail wounds in his wrists and the, the spear wound in his side, but yet he's still unrecognizable in some sense, that he's transformed in some way. But also her tears and her grief were blinding her to see Jesus as risen. Because last she saw him, they were removing him from the cross dead. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? The same question the angels asked. Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And so Mary was so focused on her grief, she, she was so focused on her purpose to find the, the, the dead body of Jesus to honour that, that her eyes wouldn't open to the reality of Jesus' resurrection. Even when she saw angels, even when she saw Jesus herself, except for when Jesus mentioned her name. At the mention of her name, her eyes are open to believing that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And so if this is about us considering what it takes for us to believe, then the question is, what are we waiting for to believe, to, to fully trust in him? Are, are we like Mary, so focused on our purpose in our head, in our grief in a sense, that we're waiting for him to call out our own name? To step back to John, who, who was, a, in a sense, the second person at the tomb in this telling of the story, uh, but the first to believe. If we step back to his story, between Mary's visits, John and Peter are at the tomb. After Mary went and told them that the tomb was empty, we're told in verse 3 that Peter and the other disciple, that's John not referring to himself by name, started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter. John apparently seemed to be much younger than Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along and behind him and went straight into the tomb because he was uh, the one who would act before thinking at times. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separated from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. And so John saw the empty tomb. He saw the evidence of the resurrection, but not Jesus. See, the grave clothes were would have what a grave robber would have wanted most. Jesus wasn't uh, in earthly sense. Obviously, he was 
uh, the God of all the universe, wealthy beyond compare, owning the cattle on a thousand hills, all of that. But in an earthly sense, in his humanity, Jesus was not a wealthy person. He, He wasn't kind of draped in his jewels in the grave. So the thing a grave robber would have wanted was the valuable linen and spices wrapped up in them. Yet they were left behind. The owner of the tomb would not have taken Jesus' body out and left the grave clothes behind either. And from the description here, it seems that, that, in, it, that Jesus passed through the grave clothes. And if we compare this with when Jesus spoke uh, Lazarus back into life, called him out of the tomb, we're told that Lazarus came out, you know, mummified in a sense, wrapped in his grave clothes and they had to be taken off of him. But Jesus, it seems, passed through. And so John sees tangible evidence and beliefs. But we're told this is not yet with full understanding because in verse 20, verse, sorry, chapter 20, verse 9, we're told they still not, did not understand from the scriptures that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And so John believes but doesn't yet fully understand, doesn't yet fully understand from the scriptures. And at this point, speaking of the Old Testament scriptures, he doesn't fully get what all this means, but he, but he believes because he's seen the evidence of Jesus' resurrection. And so uh, is that what we are waiting for? Is is that what we feel we need to fully believe, to trust in Jesus, that that we need to see the tangible evidence for ourselves? The fingerprints, the, 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 the linen, the grave clothes left behind. Mary believed at the sound of her name spoken by Jesus. John believed when he saw tangible evidence. The next key character is Thomas, uh, but there's some context before we get to there. In verse 19, we're told that on, the even, on that evening, the same evening that the tomb was opened and Jesus walked out of it and Mary has just seen her and Mary went back to the disciples. Sorry, if we go back to verse 18, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things. Uh, And so then on that evening in verse 19, the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them, received the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins... Their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And so Jesus appears in a locked room. This again touches on the the transformed nature of his being post-resurrection. He appears to them and he commissions them for the mission. He sends them as the Father has sent him. He breathes on them symbolically of receiving the Holy Spirit. But we're told in the next verse, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marked in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. 
And so Thomas refuses to believe based on the testimony of his fellow disciples. He refuses to believe on, the, I guess, the tangible evidence that John has reported to them of the empty tomb and the linen, which is still a testimony in the way. But he says, here's the key, I will only believe if I see undeniable proof that the crucified Jesus has risen. And so this is where Thomas gets his name, Doubting Thomas. But I, I, I feel for Thomas. I think he gets a bad rap. He's only asking for the same experience that everyone else has had, that all of the other disciples have had to this point. I just kind of think if, you, if you're going to miss a prayer meeting or a gathering, what a bummer to miss this one. Of all the meetings to think, oh, I've got something else on, I'll, I'll, I'll make next Sunday. What a bummer to have missed this one. Of all the nights to miss. And so I feel for Thomas. He's not asking for any more than any of the other disciples have experienced in their journey towards belief at this point. And so maybe some of us can identify actually with Thomas in this place in his story. We see other people that, oh, well, that person was healed. If I'd had that experience, I'd trust Jesus more. I'd, I'd believe more deeply in Jesus. If I'd encountered God in the way that that person has encountered God, then, then, then I would believe like they believe. Maybe some of us can identify with Thomas here. If, if I'd been financially blessed like that person's been financially blessed, then, then I'd be believing like they believe too. But I need to see it for myself. It's not just their testimony. I want to see it, Jesus. And so perhaps some of us can identify with Thomas here. I know I can at times, or have been able to at times in my life. Verse 26 tells us, though, that, that Thomas got his wish. And I say wish because I believe that Thomas wanted to believe. He wasn't opposed to belief, but he wanted to see the undeniable proof for himself. And so we're told a week later in verse 26, his disciples were in the house again. And Thomas was with them. He wasn't going to miss another prayer meeting. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said, My Lord and my God. Thomas, doubting Thomas, in seeing the undeniable evidence of Jesus risen from the grave, gives us one of the fullest early confessions of who Jesus really is. Lord and God. He, in a sense, in that moment, leapfrogs from a simple belief in the resurrection to the implication of what that means. The, the, the implication that Jesus is not merely a man sent from God, but Jesus is himself God. That Jesus is not merely Lord in the sense of Sir, 
because the, the Greek word here can mean both. The, the same Greek word was meant for sir, a, a general honouring that we might give to people who deserve honour in society. But it was also the Greek word for Lord that was used of only God, of Yahweh. And, and so we need to understand from context which people are saying. And, and so many times people have called Jesus Lord and, and sometimes it's, well, were they saying sir or are they saying Lord, you are Yahweh. And so in this moment it's undeniable that Jesus uh, that Thomas has jumped to the fullness of belief that, that Jesus is Lord and God. So we, are, we, are we waiting for that undeniable proof like Thomas? Evidence of resurrection is not enough. Testimony from others is not enough. The, the God speaking to us is not enough. We want to see undeniable evidence of God at work before we trust ourselves fully to Him. As I said, the lens that John wants us to see this story through is, is what moves us as readers of this gospel towards belief. And, and so there's, there's been Mary, there's been John, there's been the disciples, there's been Thomas. But the question is, you and I, what do we believe? What's it take for us to believe? And so in the context and the flow of John's gospel and his resurrection story, this is the place that he wants us to land. Where Thomas has landed. Not in needing the evidence, but, but in this confession of faith that Thomas has landed on. Not just believing that Jesus existed. Not just believing that he was raised, but believing that he is both Lord and God. That he is Messiah and Son of God, that he is Saviour. Because the resurrection story doesn't end with Thomas. It doesn't end with the, the recounts of, of who saw Jesus. That, that's a little bit like what Paul does in, in 1 Corinthians 15. That's a great place if you want to read this afternoon to, to read a bit more about the resurrection. And, and Paul lists off this kind of history of who saw Jesus resurrect from, from the dead. It, in, it includes 500 people that, that saw him risen at once and, and lands ultimately uh, in Paul's story on, on Paul seeing him uh, after the ascension on the road to Damascus. But that's not where, where John finishes his account. John finishes his resurrection story with you and me. Thomas said to him, that's Jesus, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so John wants us to jump from the confession of Thomas to Jesus' words that said, Blessed are those who believe without having seen all the evidence like you, Thomas. And, and, and then John says, I've given testimony to this that you might believe and have life in his name. Blessed are those that believe and have not seen. Blessed are we to believe based on the testimony. 
There's a blessing for us that Jesus declares when we put our trust in him without having to see all of the evidence, without having to see the strips of linen, without having to stand outside the tomb and hear Jesus say our name, without having to put our own hands in the wounds on his hands and our fingers into the wound on his side. There's a blessing, not a diminishment in our faith when we put our trust in him. That's not to say that there's not evidence that exists to today. You know, one of the things I love about the Alpha course, and if you get an opportunity to do that soon, which we hope to present an opportunity to do that again soon, is the, the tangible evidence that exists that we can explore today to believe in the, the truth of Jesus' resurrection. It's not that there's not evidence, but Jesus is saying there's a blessing when we simply trust and believe without having to see. And so to land it this morning, the question I want to ask you is, what are you waiting for? What are you holding out for? If you don't yet believe in Jesus, what, what would it take for you to believe? And my encouragement is to simply take that step of trust. As I said at the start, if you think, well, I've ticked that box of belief then I want to encourage you to to consider how deep is your trust for Jesus? Not just for the life to come, but for this life. Are you experiencing the peace that he proclaimed over his disciples in the resurrection? Are you experiencing the rest that comes from believing in him? My encouragement this morning to myself and to all of us is that we would take up John's invitation to believe and have life in his name. To believe and have eternal life in his name. To have that anchor for our soul that we trust in the Messiah, the Son of God, that our death is not our end. But my appeal to you is to Expand your belief to deepen your trust in Jesus for this life. That you might live this life in his name. Experiencing the peace of dwelling in his name. The freedom of dwelling in his name. The hope of dwelling in his name. Mary, John, Thomas, they're not so much rebuked. What we read as a rebuke of Thomas isn't as strong a rebuke as we may think it is. There is evidence. It's okay to, to cry out to God those famous words, I believe, help me in my unbelief. But the appeal this morning is to know the blessing of simply and wholeheartedly believing. Without needing to hear, to see, or to touch, but simply to believe. 
And so, Heavenly Father, I pray this morning. that wherever we are at in our belief journey, that you would draw us deeper, that you would help us to believe and to trust, completely and wholeheartedly. And so Father, this morning, I, I want to invite those who've not yet put their trust in Jesus, and those who, which this includes all of us, have space to grow in our belief in Jesus. To confess that before you now. And so I encourage you in your hearts or even out loud to pray with me now. Lord Jesus, we confess before you our sin. We confess our unbelief. And yet now we declare our belief in you as Messiah and Son of God. We put all of our hope, we put all of our trust, all of our belief in you, Jesus. And we pray that we may experience life in your name, both now and forevermore. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. As you head back into your week, we want to encourage you to stay in His Word, stay in His love, and stay strong in your faith. Don't forget to keep up to date with what's happening via Facebook, Instagram, or via our website at ycbc.church. See you soon.